Airplane mode is that thing we're all supposed to switch our phones to before takeoff. But it's also the title of a new book about travel by Shanaz Habib that explores the modes that people are switched into when we travel, modes that reflect the systematic power dynamics underlying tourism. Airplane Mode, an irreverent history of travel, is billed as a witty and personal, witty personal and cultural history of travel from the perspective of a third world raised woman of colour. It's an unconventional destination that is well worth a visit. And I spoke to Shanaz Habib earlier. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk. I thought we might start with an observation you make in the middle of your irreverent history of travel, airplane mode. You say, So much of travel can be about pretending. Mm. I should know because for years I've been pretending to enjoy the monument. So I thought for all those who've been doing the same, we might start there. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I am a very well-trained tourist and I have been going to monuments that I don't need to go to and enjoying um, little tours that I was not particularly interested in for a very long time. So. I really feel this very deeply that so much of travel can be about going on somebody else's trip and pretending to enjoy it. Airplane mode is a very broad history, but also an intimate personal and and family history of travel. Could you give us a brief comparison of your father's history of travel compared to yours and what you draw from that in terms of modes of travel, the way we move in the world? Hmm. So yes, my father has a very different policy towards travel from me. He hates travel. And one of the chapters in my book is about the lessons I learned about travel from my father who hates to travel. So my father thinks travel is an absolute waste of time. He finds it difficult, inconvenient. He doesn't find that anything special happens when you're traveling. And so I always thought of him as this grouchy person who hates travel and who's always complaining when he's on a trip. But then when he came to visit me in New York, when I had my baby, and, you know, this was like a big trip for him because, as I said, he hates travel, right? I started sort of noticing how he takes in New York City. And, you know, New York City, one of the most touristy places in the world, I wanted to take them around. I wanted to show them the monuments. And he was completely uninterested in it, of course. But I noticed that he loved going out to shop for vegetables. And for him, that was a way to take in my neighborhood, see what's in the markets, Think about how did this plantain get to the United States? How did this pumpkin from the Caribbean arrive on these shores? And I realized that in a sense, he was traveling when he went grocery shopping. And he's always been a great reader and he loves reading international news. So I realized again that those are all these different ways of traveling that is not necessarily about, you know, going to the monument with your guidebook and reading this little potted history of the Empire State Building. That used to be my idea of travel until I saw my father sort of just follow his joy and just do exactly what he wanted and still be able to get so much out of that encounter. Yeah, it's a very different mode of traveling. And I think, you know, when you have a baby and you're at home with your parents taking care of the baby, you're kind of open to them in a way that maybe you're not when you're younger. And so I just sort of started understanding that my father had been traveling all along. He has this insatiable curiosity for reading newspapers. As soon as the newspaper arrives at home, he just reads it from the front page to the very last obituary. And I realized that's a way of traveling, too. He has this incomparable knowledge of international politics because of that. He loves the international section of the newspaper. Hmm. And all those are different ways of traveling, traveling through reading and traveling through grocery shopping. Yeah. 
Now you live in one of the iconic tourist venues of the world and you also grew up in a place which is very popular amongst tourists in Kerala, India. Could you tell us a little bit about your early years and I suppose your experiences of travel from growing up? Hmm. So yes, I grew up in Kochi, which is, well, the tourist brochures of Kerala describe Kochi as sort of the jewel of the Arabian Sea. So Kochi is sort of very strategically located along the west coast of India. And there has been so much international trade in the Indian Ocean and in the Arabian Sea since maybe the ancient times and definitely much more in the medieval times. And so Kochi is very used to people coming and going. It's been the capital of when the Dutch colonized us, when the Portuguese colonized us, when the British colonized us. So Kochi has seen a lot of colonizers as well. So it has this very cute colonial quarter with, you know, this mishmash of architecture from the Dutch and the Portuguese and the English periods. It has a very charming uh, little historic district and it's in all the must articles about Kerala. So yeah, Kochi is very touristy too in many ways. Now, I live in the untouristy part, hmm. which is this really interesting contradiction that I'm sure many of us, when we are tourists in other places, we see this disconnect between the touristy historic colonial quarter where all the backpackers and tourists live, and then the much more unglamorous suburbs where the locals live, right? So I live in Erkulam, which is just off the waterfront, and it is sort of the stepsister to Kochi in a way. It has all the, you know, the big malls and the highways and the flyovers and the huge shopping districts. So when I travel somewhere else, I'm so used to seeing the ernaculums of the world. And I feel this instant sense of recognition. Oh, this is where the real life happens while I am going around the Fort Kochis of the world, enjoying the history and the architecture. So yeah, so I have this interesting relationship with places when I travel where I instantly recognize the place that is not fun to travel to. On Sunday Extra, we are speaking with Shanaz Habib, author of Airplane Mode and a Reverent History of Travel. Shanaz, your portrait of the man who first popularized tourist guides, Carl Baydecker, certainly provides some irreverent food for thought. Could you tell us about him? Yes, absolutely. Carl Baydecker was one of the first people to popularize the guidebook. And it's really interesting. He was not the first person to produce a guidebook, but he established this little guidebook publishing empire, which kind of made guidebooks like one of these must-see things that people take. Mm. And this happened in the middle of the 19th century, which is when mass tourism is taking off for the very first time. The Industrial Revolution has happened. There is more money. The middle class is flush with all this new wealth. Uh, and so it gets spent on travel. And, you know, the vast networks of train systems are being established in different parts of the world. So Carl Baedeker comes along. And another popular guidebook series of the time is Murray. And they both become household names among European tourists. And one of the things I say in the book is this really interesting sentence I read about Baedeker, which is from Edward Mendelssohn, who said, Baedeker's science was classical and Baconian. And so he's throwing back Baedeker to the framework of Francis Bacon, this 17th century scientist and philosopher who perfectly captures that enlightenment idea of man. And by man, he means the European man mm. as the interpreter of nature. And just this idea that a scientific truth is possible and that the European man is the person who is in charge of going out and finding the scientific truth. So this enlightenment worldview of, you know, science, it really seeps into travel as well. 
And in fact, many of the natural science writing that we see in the late 18th and 19th century happens because all these European governments were suddenly interested in sending natural scientists to explore these far-flung places, not so much to understand these places, but to understand what resources are there in Africa, in Asia, in South America, what resources are there that can be then brought home and exploited. So natural science and colonial travel are deeply intertwined. Coming back to Baedeker, Baedeker then takes on this very Baconian enlightenment ideal of knowledge. And so that seeps into guidebooks, right? The way guidebooks order our days, the way they set out this itinerary of must-see things. And these are the things that are not so important. So that enlightenment idea is very much part of the way guidebooks are written. And that framework has been pretty much followed by guidebooks even in modern times. When you look at your Lonely Planets and Rough Guides now, they still have that same trail itinerary of must-see things, must-do things. So yeah, we have Baedeker to thank for all that. Shanaz, another concept you pull apart is cosmopolitanism. I wonder if you could speak to us about how narrow some types of cosmopolitanism in fact are and where you think a more genuine cosmopolitanism is to be found. Yeah, this goes back to your question earlier about my father and travel. One of the things that time with my father in New York made me realize is there are all these other ways of traveling. And so often cosmopolitanism is associated with people who are able to travel freely through the world because they have enormous passport privilege and partly because they are traveling through the world armed with currencies that make travel so much cheaper. And one of the things I realized is, you know, when you're a minority, I mean, as a Muslim in India, my family, we are a minority within the larger Indian nation. Mm. Um, Also as a Muslim, just in the world, when you're a minority like that, you're constantly studying the world to understand your place in it and to understand what the world can do to you. And so there is this realignment of knowledge. There is this understanding that your life, your standing, your human rights are always in peril. So that knowledge and that understanding of the world to me is cosmopolitanism now. Well, Shanaz, it's been a great pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining us on Sunday Extra. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Shanaz Habib's Airplane Mode, an irreverent history of travel is, I hope, available at all airport bookshops, and I'm sure you can pick it up from lots of other booksellers too. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.